Welcome back to the Someone to Tell To podcast. We're in episode two of season five. It's so good to have you with us. Recent research shows that one in four people have been putting off an uncomfortable conversation for at least six months, and one in 10 people have been staying silent on an awkward issue for more than two years. We realize as we, as we talk with Jen just how, how fraught it can be uh, entering into conversations that are so difficult and emotional and you know that we're afraid that we're afraid of but this conversation just helps us all to realize the importance of 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 finding ways healthy ways to enter into those conversations that are harder um, and not avoiding them so much not trying to sweep them under the carpet but but to but to be brave and enter into them and, and often Things can be so much better. And good outcomes are possible. And we do. They are possible. They are. So let's introduce our guest today. Jen Dalton is a personal brand strategist, an international speaker and author. She collaborates with CEOs, executives, and entrepreneurs to build authentic personal brands, growing their revenue and accelerating their impact. Jen has delivered hundreds of talks across the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom. She's spoken at the White House, State Department, Fortune 500 companies, including IBM and GE, and at events such as the World Trade Center Institute's Global Conference. Her first book, The Intentional Entrepreneur, shares her process for launching brands that disrupt the status quo. Jen delivers groundbreaking and actionable content through her presentations, through her podcast, and through her books. Her most recent book, Listen How to Embrace the Difficult Conversation Life Throws at You, shares intimate interviews and opens a window to conversations we may face in life. Jen earned her bachelor's and executive MBA degrees from Georgetown University. It is our pleasure to have this conversation about difficult conversations with Jen Dalton today. Well, Jen, it's a pleasure to have you with us in this conversation today. I am so excited to speak with both of you and listen, most importantly. Let's start today just by uh, talking a little bit about what inspired you to write this book about having difficult conversations. Sure. I remember the moments very clearly. Um, In 2018, it was around political midterm season, and I was sitting on the couch with a cup of coffee, reading my favorite book and relaxing. And my husband said something uh, peculiar, but political, nothing that crazy, but whatever he said, I reacted so viscerally, like I'm going to jump over. We have a little knee wall and I'm short, so it would not have worked out well. So I'm glad I didn't jump over it. But I was like, I'm going to jump over him and have fisticuffs, right? I was upset with what he said. I'm a Democrat, typically liberal, and he is more conservative, although we agree more than disagree. And I remember thinking, wow, I've known him for 20 years. He has my best interests at heart. What in the world is going on? And that's really when I started to research difficult conversations. I thought I was very good at having them. And I am more in the business setting, but politics and things like that, where it's just gotten harder and harder to have a conversation, I wanted to understand why. And so that's what led me into researching difficult conversations and going down that rabbit hole a lot more than I normally would have. So we are in another midterm uh, election season. Yes, we are. What have you learned in the last four years uh, to maybe make it better? Uh, what have you learned, you know, how to handle those kinds of remarks that people, whomever they are, might say that you disagree with, that, that, that viscerally uh, get at you? Um, you know, and how has it been with your husband uh, in this, <laughs> in this uh, season? Uh, we are still married and uh, our Great. 20th anniversary is uh, November 11th. So I guess we'll see. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's interesting when I was researching this book, I went out to 30 different people and said, what's the hardest conversation you've ever had? And 
what is it that you learn from it, right? And started gathering that, plus doing a lot of research on our brains and how they're wired and how they act. And the interesting thing for most conversations, especially ones around politics or religion, things that are really personal, as I think we forget when we speak with people that if we start to challenge them, we're challenging who they are and their identity. And a lot of people show up to a conversation about politics with facts and numbers and data and think that by using that, we'll convince people they're wrong. And um, you couldn't be further from the truth, right? The reality is it's a very emotional conversation. When we try to prove people wrong, it's like we're trying to destroy who they are and their identity. And so even if your facts are accurate, um, the person you're speaking with doubles down on whatever they believe because they're in a fight or flight survive mode. And so I think what I've learned when it comes to any conversation is one, to approach it without trying to change someone's mind. And that's really hard because we, we care about people we have conversations with. Typically, we, we want them to come to the, the right side, right? Get away from the dark side. But that really doesn't work. Um, it's very hard to change someone's mind when it comes to things that really are about their identity. Jen, we know that you lost your mom in the last few years, and we know that that was instrumental in some of the principles that you've gleaned over the years and some of the principles that you uh, expressed in this book. Could you just talk a little bit about that journey, what it was like to lose your mom and, and some of the things that you've learned? Absolutely. So for context, I am an only child and my parents were entrepreneurs, so we did everything together. Uh, there wasn't really a lot of child care. It was take Jen with us, we're going to buy shoes or we're, you know, working in the shoe store and we need child labor. So let's have Jen work doing inventory. So my point is that I grew up very close with my parents. And um, when my mother passed away, it happened very, very quickly. My husband and I had come back from a trip and my parents had been watching our two sons. And that evening we got back earlier than we anticipated which was good because that gave me a few more hours with my mom. And she wasn't doing great. She was having um, vertigo and allergies and, and she's had that before. So it wasn't something where we were like red flag, red flag, red flag. And the next morning it was even worse. And, you know, I was talking to both my parents saying, got to go to the emergency room. Like we got to do something. And my mom was like, no, no, I'll be fine. We're just going to drive straight to Georgia and I'll see the doctor tomorrow. And on the way leaving Virginia, or leaving Northern Virginia, I should say, um, my mom actually told my dad, no, we, we need to go to the emergency room. And so uh, I got a phone call from my dad saying, you need to get down here. They think, you know, she's not going to make it. So, of course, I'm losing my mind. I take my cell phone with me, my house phone with me, like totally not thinking straight as one would anticipate. Um, and so that was around nine in the morning. And my mom was one of those people who didn't want to inconvenience people. And so she would just push through whatever, which typically works until it doesn't. And um, she was still making jokes with the nurses when they had to, you know, intubate to try to help fix her. Her kidneys were at about 10%. Mm -hmm. And so um, it just went downhill and she passed away around six o'clock that evening. So it was a huge shock. It was not something we had ever planned for. In fact, this is one of those difficult conversations parents don't want to have with their kids. Like, what do we do if something happens? And my mom was always like, I'm going to die in my sleep. We don't need to have a plan. It'll be fine. Um, but that's one of those where you do actually have to talk about these things so that if something happens, you, you can minimize the stress of a situation. And so for me, there were difficult conversations after that with my father about money, about relationships, right? Um, I love my father and he loves me, but it hurt him so much to lose my mom. He also wasn't really thinking about how he was communicating. Um, and so I would learn things like I've gotten engaged or things like that. And I'm like, oh, that would have been good to know sooner. So I think for, for kids who become parents of their parents, because you're sort of parenting up, it's tricky and it's hard. And at the end of the day, what I kept having to remind myself and my friend Donnell Johns told me this, and it, it's 
one of those nuggets that fundamentally shifted my thinking. People do things to protect themselves. They're not trying to do them to you, right? And so when I couldn't have conversations with my dad that were easy, I just had to remind myself, he's doing what he's doing because he needs to survive. And whatever pain I'm feeling, that has to take a second backseat, right? Because he needs to get through this. I don't want to lose him too. So I think sometimes in difficult conversations or when things aren't going the way we're, we're thinking, we always think people are doing something to us. They're typically just doing it to protect themselves. And to remember that gives you a lot, um, gives you a better perspective and it helps you give them more grace. We just want to express our our condolences, uh, you know, for the loss of your, of your mother. Uh, it, it's hard. It's just hard no matter what. And um, we know that there are just so many difficult conversations that, that will, that occur around moments like that and times like that seasons like that. So um, we congratulate you and affirm you, maybe a better word uh, for being willing to enter into those conversations, knowing that they're hard, painful, and um, just, you know, just not what you'd, <laughs> about things you'd rather not have to talk about. And Absolutely. But, and I appreciate that. And that's part of why I wrote the book is that every chapter is a different type of conversation. And we are all going to have some version of some conversation in that book. And if I can give someone a glimpse into, here's how it went, whether it was a good or a bad example of a conversation, so you can be prepared should it happen to you, to me, that's a win. Um, and so I think, you know, we're all going to have conversations about death. <laughs> that does happen, right? Even though we always try to avoid it, we're always going to have conversations about money or family or taking care of our, you know, elderly, taking care of people who are sick people coming out, how do you deal with that? I mean, there's no end to difficult conversations. And the more we avoid them, I think two things happen. One, you're not being authentically you because you're keeping everything bottled up. And two, we're not allowing ourselves to learn and be curious and build relationships and expand our perspective because we don't all have the answers. And so we become weaker by not having these difficult conversations. Uh, but most people avoid them like the plague, <laughs> which I get. It's just, I tend to think it's not the best practice. We use Buzzsprout to create this podcast. And as a small nonprofit team, we really appreciate how easy they make it to get our guests' stories out into the world. With Buzzsprout, you get a beautiful podcast website, audio players to embed into other sites, detailed analytics, tools to promote your episodes, and so much more. Use the link in the show notes to get a $20 Amazon gift card when you sign up for a paid plan and to support our show. As the co-founders of Someone to Tell To, we often find ourselves traveling around between meetings and listening sessions, and we often don't really have time for the little things like grocery shopping. I'm sure many of you have had that experience when at the end of a long workday, you'd rather do anything else than shop for groceries. That's why we're happy to give our listeners the chance to get free delivery on your first Instacart order over $35. You'll get the products you love from your local stores in as fast as one hour. There's nothing quite like sitting down at the end of the day to be present for your family over a home-cooked meal. And takeout just doesn't feel the same. So if you find yourself needing groceries and considering getting takeout instead, get hand-selected products delivered straight to your door. Get free shipping on orders over $35 by using the link in the show notes. since losing your mom. How has that changed your relationship with your dad? It's definitely made me a better participant in conversations. A lot of times, I think when we go into a conversation, even a difficult one, we think, I'm going to have the conversation, it will come to closure, and we're going to be done. <laughs> and that's just really not how that works, right? It usually, for a difficult conversation, takes lots of conversations. And... For me, I'm very structured. 
And so I like to have a process. I feel like if you can name something, it helps you navigate it better. Mm -hmm. And so for me, there are, are six types of conversations. And the first kind is literally just to listen. And for my dad, you know, just speaking with him and just listening, not trying to say anything, not trying to change his mind, just be present helped a lot. Um, my husband would also bring up things that would kind of were my trigger points <laughs> before I talked to my dad. So I could practice, how am I going to react if he says this? Because he's going to. Oh, okay. Well, this might be how I could react. And that's helped me a lot so that when I'm in the conversation and something is said where I get very upset, I've already had the first initial reaction. <laughs> and so I can keep it contained and not have it show up on my face or not say something I'm going to regret. So people underestimate the power of practicing a difficult conversation uh, before you go into one. What are some of the other things you've learned from difficult conversations that help have helped you and that maybe you see are helping others to just have better conversations, even though they may be difficult, but they're better? As opposed, maybe less emotional, less angry, less judging, or, or blaming, or whatever, whatever it may be. The those those things we we can feel in in those times. So, what else have you learned? When we're stressed and we're in the fight or flight mode, which can happen really quickly, right? If you're talking with your manager and they say something like, "You know, we need to talk about your performance." The first reaction might be, oh my gosh, I'm upset. Or if you're talking with a family member and it starts off with a question that puts you on the defense, a different part of our brain is used to collaborate and innovate. So if we're in fight or flight or stress mode, you can't access that collaboration space in your brain. And so when you're in fight or flight, people are on the defense, they're not ready to listen. They're not ready to talk. They're feeling like I need to protect myself. So if you're trying to move forward, you can't yet. So there are two things you can do to help disrupt that part of the brain. The first is take a deep breath. And that sounds crazy, but breathing actually helps your body realize. It sends a signal on your stress cycle that you're alive, you're okay. <laughs> and it gives you time to think and not say something dumb. I'm sure none of us have ever said something without really thinking about it. Um, never. never, ever. The second thing is that when we ask a question, it forces our audience, whoever that person is, to get out of that fight or flight mode because now they don't feel under attack. They feel like you're seeking to understand. And so it gets them back into that problem-solving collaborative space. It starts to. And so those two tools, whatever conversation I'm in, even if it's one that goes sideways that I had no idea was going to go sideways, I have to remember I can either take a breath and I can ask a question or I can ask a question. But those two things help me calm down and the asking a question can help the other person take a breath and calm down too so that we can at least get back to a place where maybe we can come up with um, how do we move forward? Or at least we're not on the, the defense, right? Where we're, we're ready. We love that idea of practicing this pause before entering into these conversations. But I think that is something that has to be learned. Um, that isn't our natural response in those moments. At least I know it's not for me. Um, maybe not for both of you, but, um, it, it's, it's especially challenging when we are emotionally tied to, a point of view or a situation or something that we hold in high regard. So taking that deep breath, taking that, that pause is not natural. You're right. I mean, we, we have been wired for fight or flight, right? Our brains, our hearts, our emotions are far more advanced than how we're actually wired. And so we've got a real disadvantage, right? We're at a real disconnect that when someone says something that freaks us out, scares us, um, that's why we, we get angry. 
anger is a secondary emotion, right? We're only usually angry because of a feeling we're feeling. We're either afraid or frustrated. And so that's the other thing I have to remember. If I'm angry, I also pause and ask myself, what, what's really going on here? Why am I angry? And then I can say, well, it's because they didn't respect me enough to say this earlier, or I'm finding out about this later than I should have because I'm family, whatever it is. Um, and I think that's helped me be a smarter participant. Uh, don't get me wrong. I still will have moments where I'm like, yeah, I could handle that better, um, especially with my teenagers. But I'm much better than I used to be. And and I've learned enough where I can, in that moment, pause, right? Just, just pause and really think about what you're going to do, because what you say could really cause a lot of damage to a relationship. What happens to us when we avoid these difficult conversations? One of the things we're also really good at as humans, unfortunately, is negative news negative storytelling. So I think a lot of people avoid conversations because they think they're going to be terrible. Um, and sometimes you go have the conversation and the person's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. When you said that, that didn't hurt my feelings. And you've been stressing about it for two years. Like, oh, I said something. They hate me and they haven't called me or emailed me. No, they've just been living their life. And you've spent all this time worrying for nothing. Now, there are conversations where you avoid it because you know it's going to be hard. However, if you write out some questions in advance, if you plan scenarios, like I could say this and they could say that, I could say this and they could say that, what's the worst outcome that could happen in the conversation? What's the best? And just go in with a few of those scenarios and a few questions to ask in your back pocket, a few things to say in your back pocket. Um, and that will make it much easier to have these conversations because we can't grow unless we're under pressure, right? It's a crucible effect. If we don't go through the hard stuff, we're not really going to grow and learn. If we don't have the difficult conversations, we're stressing about stuff that maybe we didn't mean to. Um, and I found that those deeper conversations make relationships, A, more functional, um, but B, they just move you forward in life so you can you can progress and not get stuck in your own head. We, we tend to hang on to things a lot and, and, and resist and don't want to to deal with this hard stuff. And but we replay it over and over and over and over in our minds and 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 for years I mean, in the work that we do and we listen to people and as they unburden themselves and talk about their pain and brokenness. We've, gosh, sometimes learned that for decades, people are holding on to resentments or perceptions or attitudes that, that just don't need to be, they, you know, they don't need to be doing that. And yet that it is so common to so many of us that we, we do it. So we uh, certainly appreciate that your work in trying to help and teach people that there is a better way. There is ultimately an easier way, even though they're hard, it's hard, maybe hard at first, it actually makes life easier, so much easier. And, um, you know, that's, that's really significant. Um, one of the things that we talk about a lot and have written about and, and really appreciate is, is trying to um, work toward the win-win in relationships and in conversations and in decision-making. Um, how can difficult conversations be win-wins? How do you do that? How do you approach them? How do you say things or not say things in order to help it be a win-win for everyone involved? I think that's a huge goal that people often forget. Because usually when we go into a conversation, we feel like it's, um, I have to win. And if for me to win, you have to lose. And it's not a zero sum game like that. It really needs to be, how can we both come out of this as unscathed as possible, if not all, you know, in a better place. Um, most communication that goes poorly is because of poor expectation setting. And so one of the things, and this sounds a bit crazy when I say it out loud, 
But one of the things that is important, let's say I was going into a political conversation, I would say something like, I'm not here to change your mind. I'm not, I'm here to learn. I value our relationship. I really just wanna understand your experiences and what's led you to where you are today. Help make me smarter. When we set that expectation of, I'm not here to change your mind, I care about you. It's a very different experience for the person on the other end of that conversation than I want to talk about this and uh, I don't agree with you. I think you're wrong, <laughs> but let's talk. Like, that's not really as great. Um, but the reality is, you know, there's 7 billion perspectives on everything in the world. Um, <laughs> and so for us to think that ours is the only one is, is crazy. People grow up with different experiences. You have no idea what the beliefs are behind why they are where they are in the conversation. And so I think that's a huge principle is just let people know up front, I'm not here to change your mind. If at any point you're like, this conversation's not serving our relationship, we can both tap out and say, hey, let's put it on pause. Our relationship is more important than this conversation. We'll check in in a week and talk about it. But let's not sacrifice our relationship for this conversation. And that puts the people at ease, honestly, a lot more than one might think. Such an important point. And again, through our work, it's all about relationships and not just professionally, but just personally, we, we want to be um, fostering deep connections. And what would you say to people? I'm thinking just with the rise of social media and how that, I think it heightens our our emotions and we see somebody post something for example that may be political and we want to chime in and then we chime in and it just exacerbates the problem uh, it doesn't help the problem so you know i i just uh i know in your book you talked about creating like safe places safe spaces with people so what would you say about like social media it just doesn't seem like it's necessarily a safe space to do so? People forget that social media is not actually a place for dialogue. <laughs> Typically people treat it like a monologue. <laughs> I just wanted to put this out there. I don't want anybody to respond because I'm just telling you what I think. Now there are people obviously in communities who have great dialogue and engage, but when it comes to things that are political or, I mean, anything feels like it can be politicized into some crazy conversation. Uh, we have to remember that it's not a place built for dialogue because you lose context. Unless you're very, very good at writing and communicating in a really thoughtful way, which can still be misconstrued. Um, I think conversations really need to be face-to-face -face or over Zoom or um, in a place where you set some boundaries. So you know, Thanksgiving is a great example where you get a lot of people around a table and conversations can go crazy and sideways. And some people dread Thanksgiving or any holiday where people get together with different opinions. And I do think you have to set rules and guidelines and expectations around what's okay and what's not. Social media is really hard to do that because again, most people just want it to be a monologue and they want to win their conversation. They don't appreciate when people turn it into a dialogue. Generally speaking, we don't, yeah, we might have a thousand friends on Facebook, but how many of those folks are we actually close with? Do we actually have an authentic relationship with? Probably very few. It actually should be very few uh, in reality because you can't maintain a thousand deep connections. Should those folks in that group of a thousand be the ones that we're ha trying to even attempt to have these dialogues with because we don't really have relationships with them for most people if we first of all i love when people talk about politics and religion right most people will tell you don't ever talk about politics don't ever talk about religion i think that's terrible advice in most situations because we're avoiding it and we're not practicing getting better at it just like don't you know don't talk about money don't talk about sex don't talk about whatever that doesn't help any of us 
and we all have to acknowledge it's probably going to be a messy conversation. I'm doing my best. Let's give each other grace. Um, and sometimes there are ways on social media to introduce a comment like that. I think social media is better when you ask questions and not leading questions, but genuine questions to let people continue their monologue. Or you can say, gosh, I really appreciate what you said here. I'd love to catch up for coffee and talk about it. Um, one of the things I talked about in the book um, was doing uh, discourse dinners where you get together a small group of people that you have a high degree of trust with and that you care about and also have different views. And having someone facilitate that conversation so you can hear from people you respect, but you know your opinions differ, but you trust them, right? You have to have a know, like, and trust factor. And to your point, with a thousand friends or 4,000 or 5,000 or 10,000, there's data that says, look, you really only have 150 people you know of those five you know very well another 10 you know really well another 25 to 30 you know pretty well so to think that we can talk about such personal topics that are related to our identity like religion and politics and not have a backlash from a thousand people is also probably pretty naive so you have to be ready for that too uh, if you're gonna throw a verbal grenade you can't be surprised when there's some blowback but it seems like people are often surprised. They <laughs> are, totally, because they think they're right, right? I'm sharing my view and it's right. Yeah. Um, because their echo chamber mm -hmm. has confirmed that they're right. That's part of the challenge too when we avoid difficult conversations. We're only hearing typically one perspective. And so I do think it's helpful for people to go watch other TV shows, listen to other things, get more perspectives. Because no one perspective is ever 100% right, right? That's why it's important to go speak with people and have conversations. One of the things that we do that, that we through someone to tell it to that we and, and, and our trainers, when we're training or are speaking about how to respond to people, um, and particularly when things are charged and emotionally so, um, is, is to try to avoid certain words or, or certain phrasing. It's like, how can you possibly believe that? <laughs> well, right away, as soon as, as soon as you say that, somebody's going on the defensive. Yeah, or yeah. how? You know, what, you know, what were you thinking when you, when, when you said that? Uh, or why questions. Yeah, or why? Did you do that? Uh, those kinds of things are, uh, you know, another one of my favorites is, I love you, but, you know, as soon as the but is said, there's, there's going to be a lashing coming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, the worst. So it's, we try to teach people and, and to avoid certain words and phrases, especially in, in, in those kinds of moments, because they simply they do not build connection. Mm -hmm. They just cause more disconnection. And, they put people on the defensive. And put them on the defensive and hurt and angry and, and everything like that. I think the, the biggest one that you said is, is but, right? Yeah. I hear what you're saying, and I really understand your point of view, but whatever niceties you said before the word but doesn't matter because they've already forgotten them because now they're like, oh, here comes the but, right? And so, and is a much better word because it keeps the conversation going. It doesn't stop and then, but. So I think using and has been another skill that's been huge for me. And sometimes I'll have to correct myself in the middle of a sentence and say, but and that's not what I meant. I meant and. <laughs> because you know, your brain can't always keep up with your mouth. Um, so I do think that's huge. I agree with you. There definitely are charged phrases. And that's where I think setting expectations up front about, hey, I may not say this quite right. I value our relationship and I'm trying to understand where you're coming from and learn what experiences have led you to where you're at because I find it interesting because I find you interesting. Help mm -hmm. me understand more. Um, and so I do think if you preface that people can be a lot more forgiving if they know you genuinely are trying. If they feel like you're only speaking and letting them speak so you can respond, 
you know, you've also lost the battle in that case too. Um, so I think that's where asking questions and genuinely, sometimes I'll take notes. I'll ask someone, is it okay if I write this down? Because I want to go, you know, research this more later. I really appreciate you sharing this. Um, those are things that show respect and aren't showing that you're just listening to answer because that's not the place to be either. Thank you for listening to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. Wonders Found Thrift Shop is proud to be one of its sponsors. Wonders Found is an all-volunteer-run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We support local missions, people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We also provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, wondersfound.org, or stop in to see what wonders you can find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. I have a, a phrase that I wanted to to bring up here today, and it literally just popped up on our, our LinkedIn page yesterday. It's actually from one of our previous guests on the Someone to Tell To podcast, Stephen Shetaleski. And he used this one phrase and it really stood out to me on LinkedIn yesterday and it was about feedback. And I wonder if just for a minute we could talk about difficult conversations in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And he used this phrase and I'd love for you to comment on it and then I have a follow-up question. But just feedback is best shared, not served. Feedback is best shared, not served. Um, if you could just comment on that phrase that really stood out to us and we've already had some conversations together about that. What went through my head was it reminded me of the monologue versus dialogue. When we serve something or when a conversation's only one way, where we're basically saying, here's your meal of feedback. See you later. I've got to wait on other tables, right? Versus shared, which means I'm inviting you to a conversation, a meal, a discussion. I'm going to share feedback. And I also want you to share how you feel about it, what you think, because it's one perspective of feedback. I want to hear your perspective too. Right? When we get feedback in the workplace, oftentimes it's because someone has said something to the manager and the manager now has to go deliver that message, which by the way, don't ever be the messenger, it's not fun. But as a manager, oftentimes you do have to be the messenger. And so giving someone space to say, hey, I, I got this feedback. It doesn't really resonate with how I experiencing working with you. So I wanted to share it with you and just have a conversation about it. We've made a practice, not just in the workplace, but I think just in, in our personal lives as well is um, I, I always look at difficult conversations as, okay, so we're going to have this emotionally charged conversation, but we don't want just this to be a one-off conversation. As you pointed out earlier, we want this to be maybe a, perhaps a series of conversations and it's an ongoing dialogue. And that's where the, the sharing um, that Stephen's talking about is coming into play. And I think making a practice of always circling back to these conversations, because using our relationship, Michael and I are deep friends. We've been friends for a long, long time. And in our worker relationship, you know, for the most part, things are always on point, but it, periodically over the years, we've had some difficult conversations. Then I know I'm what I call an outward processor. So I process things emotionally quickly. Michael okay. takes more time. He's a little bit more like my wife um, as well, who takes, needs that time to really soak in what was discussed and then coming back. And I think for, for everyone involved, this idea of circling back is just, it can be essential because, um, you know, we can all just dump whatever in the middle of a conversation. And then that could, there could be a lot of hurt feelings and things if we don't ever come back. There's so many things going through my, my head. One that came, came to mind and it's, um, from another book on difficult conversations. You know, the, the author basically says, look, the elephant in the room used to be a baby elephant, right? That could have fit through the door and we'd all be fine. Now we've let it last for so long and grow. It's a huge elephant in the room. So the only way to get rid of it, right? Obviously we've all heard the saying one bite at a time, although that's a distressing visual. But I do think for, um, for coaching in the workplace, it's really helpful for people who lead and manage to have a very clear agenda where feedback is one piece and it's 
feedback that goes both ways. Recognition is separate. And then just communication is another. Um, and I like the power of three. Three is always a nice, happy number. Like, uh, Kelly Hinkle, who's a good friend of mine, she's a people manager, and she says, every agenda, we have a communication where we just talk and see how things are going. We have a specific place for feedback, and then we do a specific conversation around recognition. Right? If you look at people leaving the, uh, the workforce right now or switching jobs, 79% of people leave their workplace because they don't feel appreciated or recognized. Now, of the people who have high morale and are engaged, 94% of them say the thing that makes them feel the most valued and have high morale is when their manager tells a story recognizing and valuing what they contributed. Not a one sentence, right? But like gives context, why it mattered, what was great about it, and how much they appreciate it. Now, different people like recognition done differently. So that's important to keep in mind. Some people don't want to be recognized on stage. They just want one-to-one. -one. But I do think getting into the habit, like you're saying, of difficult conversations, then they're not so difficult because you have them all the time. Yeah. Um, I think that's huge. It's just a habit we have to build. Honesty is so important to to any any conversation, but there um, the phrase brutal honesty and there people say oh, I'm going to be brutally honest. Again, that will shut down a converse that that'll just shut down things right away when when someone prefaces a comment like that. How how do we um, temper on? Uh, on, how do we use honestly, honesty in a way that is not brutal? How can we talk with people, share feelings without really putting someone down, you know, wounding them so much that they're, they're not going to hear anything? And they may, frankly, carry resentments because of that. And that hurt for, again, years. As you were mentioning earlier about spouses, <laughs> mm -hmm. my husband and I also speak and communicate very differently. And so much so that I will start a conversation and I've been doing this since I wrote the book and since I was researching the book, where I'll say, gosh, um, you just said X and I, I know you weren't trying to hurt my feelings or make me feel bad because I know you love me and I love you. However, when you said this, this is how it made me feel. I know that's not what you were trying to do. So can you say it in a slightly different way to help me understand what you need me to do or what you're asking or, or just what conversation are we having? Because I know you didn't mean to make me feel this way, right? but you said this and I heard this because we just speak different languages sometimes and different words mean different things to different people. And so I think if you get in not, and you can't do this obviously with everybody, but with the people you're close to, I think it's okay to share some of the, here's what came to mind, here's how it made me feel. I know that's not what you were trying to do, so let's let's try this again. Um, so I think getting comfortable letting people know we're gonna, again, not muddle our way through it, but it might be a little bit messy and that is okay. That's one thing that comes to mind as you were speaking. I think the second thing that I've learned a lot and had to practice is who am I having the conversation for? Am I having this conversation so I feel better? Then I probably shouldn't have it, right? And maybe there are times where you should, but if it's not really going to help the relationship or the other person, right? If that brutal honesty isn't actually going to help, then let it go. Write it on a sheet of paper, burn the sheet of paper in the fireplace. I don't really care, right? But figure out how to let it go. Because if the only reason we're having a conversation is to make ourselves feel better, we probably need to revisit why um, it would make us feel better. Because that's usually, a, as my my third, my 16 year old will say, that's an ish you, not an ish me. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's something I've learned too, is that some conversations are really my issue. They're not someone else's issue that I need to bring it to. That's amazing. Yeah, that, that is great. I'm going to share that with my daughter when I get home tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you have to do a little attitude. That that sounds like an issue, not an ish me. Yeah. She's yeah. 15. 
be careful. Be careful what you teach them. <laughs> because, well, if you whatever you teach them, you've got to live up to as well. I mean, you know, you can't, you, uh, because they'll call you out right away oh, when yeah, you. Uh, she does. <laughs> you're so, not following yeah. your own rules or your exactly. own. Exactly. Trust me, I've I've had my son say, "Didn't you write a book about this?" Why are you <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That always scares us too, because as <laughs> as uh, teachers of of you know about listening and reacting. Mm-hmm all that all those things yeah they when you know I that book that, gets thrown in our face that, they're, they're, <laughs> once or twice we we have been told you guys you, you're supposed to be good listeners but you're not mm-hmm. just be, mm-hmm. in one form or another we've been told that if just a few times and you know it makes of course we vehemently disagree but uh you know, yeah. but we realize that it's it we're, you know, everyone's human and none of us can, you know, do it perfectly. We're always works in progress with this. Yeah, There's always work to be done. Yeah. I think that's the other thing too, right? Just remember whoever you're speaking with, we are human. Yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite books is Leadership and Self-Deception. As soon as we see someone else as an obstacle, we have forgotten their humanity. So if you're going to a difficult conversation or a meeting where you're going to have one, especially in the workplace, but at any setting where you're thinking if they would just approve this or if they would just do that, that person is no longer a person. They're an obstacle. So until you can step back and think about this is a human (laughs) who has something also going on, what's going on that I need to understand that would help us move forward together because I've certainly been in places where I thought, hmm, I need to step back because I'm seeing this person as an obstacle, which means I have no empathy. And that's not the way to go into a conversation. We have to have empathy and seek to understand and listen to understand first before we do anything else. Yeah, I'm reminded of two two quotes that we've used before in our training work. Uh, one comes from Brene Brown when she says that people are hard to hate up close absolutely and the second one is actually from abraham lincoln and she's kind of paraphrasing him uh when he said that i don't like that man i need to get to know him better (laughs) (laughs) right it's true though i mean i love that quote i love both of those quotes and i think we have to get to know people better because you never know why someone's thinking something the the quote i use with my clients all the time is telepathy is not a strategy right Mm. you actually have to spend time letting people know what you're thinking, asking to get to know what they're thinking and just what's going on in their life. Cause you don't know what's happened or why they might be showing up a certain way. And it could be something terrible, but if you're not asking, then, you know, who looks like the lesser person, it's going to be you. If you're not trying to understand, you have no idea what people bring to the table in their history and background. And when we assume things or when we approach a conversation, how we like to have conversations, we're missing the whole point, right? If you come to a conversation to win, you've already lost. If you come to a conversation, and this was a hard one for me because I like being right, <laughs> but my, my, my coach was like, do you think you can approach every conversation with the potential of being wrong? And I was like, huh like totally wrong, like a little right. You're like, no, no. If you go to every conversation and think you could be completely wrong, can you actually do that? And I had a real conversation with myself. Like, what if I am a hundred percent wrong? What could I learn to just be more informed? Right. And if we're not ready to do that, and I know that's a really big ask, but it is a good test to go, are you even in a place where you're open-minded to listen or are you really just showing up to win? Because then, you know, like I said, you've already lost. Hmm. Well, that's such a great way to end the conversations yeah, today. Yeah. Um, you've given our listeners and us so much to consider today. Um, yeah, we, we often use this phrase just to lean into discomfort. And that is the best way forward, even if it's uncomfortable, because we're going to find more healing and wholeness and unity uh peace ultimately mm-hmm. yes and uh it doesn't come by avoiding these types of conversations 
And it's um, it, it, it can feel so good when you've done that and you've gotten through a difficult conversation, a, diff- a difficult issue, and, and you've worked through it, you know, wor- worked through it well. And the, the kind of that sense of calm and peace and anxiety that goes away and, and dread and all those things, it just feels so much better. And, you, I, you know, sometimes I, I think, why didn't I do this so much sooner? Why didn't, why didn't, why just let this, as we've talked about before, why do we let that elephant gross to be so big? Um, and, you know, it doesn't need to be that way. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love that there are more people pursuing this outcome of having difficult conversations. I would say, you know, don't have your first practice at a difficult conversation be a really, really hard one, right? You can start with what's your favorite Netflix show and why, um, and debate that, right? And practice, <laughs> practice small and build up that that skill set. But I love the work you're both doing. Thank you so much for, for having me on and giving me space to, to share my story as well. Well, we it, it was our pleasure and our privilege. So thank you for being with us today. Uh, we appreciate it so much. Jen, if people want to learn more about your work, how could they find out about you? Sure. They can go to brandmirror.com. It's all about reflection and standing out, right? So brandmirror.com. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can just find me as Jen Dolphin, and I'd love to hear from folks. That's great. And we also want to wish you well as you get through election season and uh, <laughs> hope that uh, you also can celebrate a wonderful anniversary on November 11th uh, when when it's we hope it's all over and and things and things are good. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. If I, if I ask to be back on the podcast, it may not may not be for a good reason or maybe it will be for a good reason. I might need more help. So. OK, if you ever need someone to tell to, we're here. We're here. <laughs> So we just want to thank you for joining this conversation today, for listening to the podcast again, and for being for being part of this community that is learning and growing, and um, appreciating uh, the importance of the of the way we listen, the way we respond, the way we react to one another, and ultimately to become better humans. Well, as you know, we're a nonprofit here at Someone to Tell To, and so there are just so many ways that you could support our work and help us grow our following, grow our audience, and ultimately to serve more people. And one of the ways that you can do that is through our Patreon page to support this podcast as we continue to hopefully help the world to listen better. In addition to that, one of the things that I know I do, as you've, if you've listened to our episodes for a long time now, you know that Michael and I listen to a lot of other podcasts and I love to take episodes that I, I enjoy and then just share them with four, five people that I know. And so if you could do that for us, that would help us so much. If there's one episode in particular that you've connected with deeply and you think of five friends who might also benefit, just hit, hit that share button with five people. That would make a tremendous difference as we grow our audience. So thanks so much. Absolutely. So again, thanks for being with us until we listen again.